0: One Song Nation, put those kids to bed and prepare
1: to make more kids. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's va- it's Valentine's. I'm trying to do sexy ones. It's Valentine's Day here on One Song. That's not sexy enough. You sound I, like Bruce I, Wayne doing I know, Batman. I know it's not sexy. I will stop. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> You're listening to One Song. Let's get it on. Nope. That sounds like a sporting shout. Let's get it on. Woo! Let's get it on.
0: Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of one song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on At Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. If you're new here, I'm
1: actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ, Diallo Riddle, And I'm producer, DJ, musicologist, Luxury, a.k.a. the guy who talks about interpolation on the internet. And I
0: think it's only appropriate that today, a day for lovers, Mm. is the day that we choose to celebrate one of the sexiest songs of all time. A song that was number one in the US, a song that went platinum. And while there are no exact statistics for this, probably accounted for more unplanned pregnancies in the 1970s than any other recording.
1: Very likely. It's very likely. It's a very sexy song. It equals sex to many people. Uh, it's become a staple for any self respecting make tape or make out playlists. No, no, I still call them. Ta- <laughs> I think tape is cool. Just calling it a tape. Let's just, still call it a it's tape. just call it a tape. It's just call it a tape. It established Marvin Gaye as a true sex symbol. And it established the wah wah pedal as the horniest sound on planet Earth. Let's face it. Like it just you get a little bit of a wah wah and then It's amazing. Boners are popping. This time on one song Boners are (laughs) popping. It's the boner popping edition. It's Let's Get It On.
2: I'm
0: so excited about this episode. I have a lot to say about Marvin Gaye. He's one of my favorite artists of all time. But before we start, I have to ask Luxury. Do you consider yourself to be romantic?
1: Sure. (laughs) Hello, romantic. What's the most romantic thing you've ever done? A very sexy man. That's different from romantic, isn't it? Can we make the distinction, actually, for for the world to understand, what is the distinction between romantic and sexy? Like, where is the line? Do we even know?
0: you know i think you are sexy to the person you are romantic with hopefully okay you would hope it's a two-way street oh
1: i like that yeah do you think that this generation because on you know tiktok and stuff i see so much cringe content of like (laughs) young people that think what they're doing is sexy but it's just cringy do you think that they they really think do you think what they're trying to be is romantic and appealing to their partners but they think the road to that is sexiness
0: you know, I think
1: I'm just at the end of the day, that.
0: every generation thinks that romance died the second that they got married and settled down. And they look at the kids and they're like, that's not romantic. But I think the kids can figure it. The kids are all right, is what I'm saying. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to sense of humor and, you know, a Authenticity, just of, being yourself. Yeah, just being yourself. I think and,
1: the cringe comes from when it, it's so clear that they're trying to be something that's not <laughs> natural.
0: I think most of the cringe probably comes from uh, either people trying too hard or people being old judging the young oh,
1: there's also that that is also cringy <laughs> so also let's stop very <laughs> i will stop personally you can keep going no no, no. <laughs> um well y'all let's get it on well maybe i should say let's get into it let's let's <laughs> let's get it on has a different meaning today
0: let's talk I about i don't want to be hauled in front of heartbeat hr you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not again let's talk about marvin Gaye. he's one of your yes. favorite artists i Absolutely. know you have a lot to say for listeners who are maybe less familiar with Marvin, and frankly, I'm one of them, teach teach us all, educate us. Why does he matter to you?
0: I think Marvin is so important. I mean, like, he really is, look, nothing is created in a vacuum. And there are so many artists from Jackie Wilson to um, Smokey Robinson, you know, who are absolute innovators uh, in this field. I do think that Marvin is a very, if you're going to talk about music, a very convenient bridge from R&B sort of representing uh, the sort of boogie-woogie, <laughs> rollicking styles of, like, the 50s, and even the Motown song of which he was a part of in the beginning of the 60s into what we think of as today as, as contemporary R&B. Like, you can right. draw a direct line from Marvin to everybody from D'Angelo to Bryson Tiller in ways that it's just harder when you're drawing that line from Smokey and... Uh, Sam Cooke and some of the other artists. And so are you
1: making a distinction between kind of more of a soul singer versus a sort of, well, I suppose they're...
0: It's hard to talk about this yeah. stuff, right? Like, even growing What's up... What's the
1: distinction that you're making, there just now between Smokey versus... Um, I,
0: I, I think it's the introduction... I'll be sure or something. <laughs> I think it's, in some ways, it might be the introduction of just blatant sexuality mm-hmm. into the music. Um, in ways that it wasn't there before. And I think that's one of the reasons why we chose Let's Get It On for this. Because there are other Marvin Gaye songs that we could do on one song. But we were coming up on Valentine's Day. Sure. And we were like, what's the sexiest song we can do? And we were just almost immediately agreed that let's get it on is sexy regardless of the genres of music you're into right it's a sexy song it's
1: become a template it just represents sex so much so that in this past couple years it's become the tiktok meme of just the (laughs) intro the first (laughs) 10 seconds just the wawa in the intro (laughs) is enough to trigger we've had a million videos on tiktok alone for which just the intro to this song represents sex and tells you that you're about to watch a video that's either a sexy video or it's kind of a joke about like a skit about sex (laughs) yeah but it's this is a song that instantly conveys sexiness culturally
0: absolutely And, and and i'm glad you bring it up about culturally because in preparing for this episode i had no idea that this song originally you know to to just to place it in its historical context we're coming out of a period where he's released one of the most celebrated albums of all time that's right what's going on
2: Uh,
0: One of my absolute favorite, like, if I'm in the right mood and I hear certain songs, like, you know, uh, Flying High, like, I just, it's hard not to well up with tears. Like,
1: well, let's, let's slow, let's pause on that for a second because that's an important album. Now, what's going on was a really important record for not just Marvin, but for actually, I was going to say for Motown. I'm sure you saw the same things I did about Barry Gordy.
0: Album, but Barry Gordy
1: refused to put it out and didn't want (laughs) to put it out and said it would be a career ending mistake. He said it was the worst thing he'd ever heard. So there was actually a back and forth battle. It took several months before Marvin finally put his foot down, and I think he self released it originally. So there's a lot of controversy surrounding that. But then it became a hit, and as you're as you're in the middle of saying, represents. It's a, it's a political album more than it is a personal sexual record. It was record. a very political
0: yeah. album. It was, you know,
1: um,
0: it's hard to say that any political music doesn't owe something to what's going on. But, you know, I think a lot of people were probably expecting another really political album from right. Marvin. And as it turned out, no, they got this album, which was very open with its, with its sexuality, for yeah. the lack of any other term. Oh, absolutely. And... Let's get it on didn't start out that way. Let's get it on as an album and both uh, as an album and as a single both started off political, just like their predecessor. But then something was just going on in his life. He was growing apart from his wife, uh, Anna Gordy at the time. Yeah. Uh, he's falling in love with this uh, new person who finds herself in the studio, Janice Hunter, who will have, who he will eventually marry before
1: the end of the yeah. decade. We'll get like, into all that because yeah, we'll get into them. because first of all, Anna Gordy is seventeen years older than than Marvin is. And Janice is 17 years younger than Marvin is. (laughs) So something going on with the number 17, some age range stuff going on there, interestingly. But yeah, that's that's a big thing happening in his personal life, right in this moment. And to your point, the transition from making a political record to making a sexual record happens in this song, which when we get to the song story, we'll get into more detail. But I think you were in the middle of saying like the song itself. Started out as a political song, didn't started it? Started out as political, and
0: the same way that what's going on was like over the top, open with its political messages. This was an album that was eventually going to be over the top in its set in its celebration of sex. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was uh, in the David Ritz book that you know a case can be made, a strong case can be made. Is
1: the David Ritz biography of Marvin yes. Gaye, yes,
0: it's called Divided Soul. And he makes a strong case that this song and this album, in some ways, creates the slow jam. And we want to talk about that. Like, is this the first, as we think of it, modern slow jam?
1: That's so interesting to me. And I think think that is accurate. So we're going to get into what slow jams are and sexuality (laughs) on this episode. We're going to
0: define sexuality with this episode.
1: Diallo, I just want to take a moment to put out there on the public record, people need to know this about you. Okay. You and Bashir, your partner in crime for comedy <laughs> comedy making for the last 20 years, you co-created Jimmy Fallon's Slow Jam the News.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> President Obama's taken a hard stance on immigration. He wants to let everyone inside. You gotta do it the right way.
0: I mean, to Jimmy's credit, Jimmy has a... Has a outsize hand, what goes into that show. He has a great writer brain. And he came to us, he was like, hey, I want to do something called a slow jam in the news where we do a slow jam, and but we talk about what happened in the news. And at that point, Bashir and I did go off <laughs> and write what we thought essentially would sound like an Usher song. Okay, I was going um, <laughs> to ask, it wasn't, it wasn't based
1: on Let's Get It On. <laughs>
0: it wasn't based on Let's Get It On. It was more like the, the R&B of our era, like yeah. Shy and Silk and Usher. Yeah. uh shout out to usher i think you know depending on when you're listening to this uh i think the super bowl just happened so you know that man got out there and yeah. performed at the super bowl which is crazy <laughs> for atlanta um my hometown but like yeah it was it was really ambitious because it, you know only super fans of jimmy fallon would even know this but when we sat down to write the first one with the roots you know it went over really big it was on his very first episode and then they were like we got to do it again. And so we actually wrote an entirely different song for the second one. Um about the AIG, you know, finance scandal <laughs> of the time. Like it was really What sort was of, that based on music? Oh, Did you go to a different I think era for that? It was like that? um Nice and Slow by Usher was like our go-to on okay. that one and we were like can we talk about AIG? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we were going to write an, an actual uh-huh. Brand new, original R&B song every you single made time we did sexy. that sketch. You made then insurance sexy. And at some sexy. point, even Jimmy was like, we're killing ourselves. Like, There's a reason <laughs> why people do this full time for a living. All that. Okay. So we eventually settled in on this one version of the song that was similar to the first time we ever did it. So we didn't have to write a new slow jam, the new song, every single time. But, you know, writing a, a, a an effective slow jam is not that easy, as it turns no, out. challenging. And no. trying to make it funny is even harder. <laughs>
1: that's so funny. <laughs> well, the idea of a, a slow R&B sort of ballad, where yeah. it's romantic, sexy, right on that line that we were discussing earlier, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that idea it has, exi- has existed sure, for some time. Sure, there have always time. been love right. songs and there have you always been to- ballads. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think the difference here, again, is sort of the unchecked, raw sexuality and let's be honest here the raw unchecked black sexuality i mean yeah, like you yeah. gotta realize to be said. we're just coming out of the civil rights movement black people are just starting to grow their hair natural and this in some ways like to free sexuality is the next step one could assume in the political movement and yeah. i do find it really interesting that you know something like what's going on comes out and it's so overtly political just two years later he comes out with an with an album that's overtly sexual and now yeah. as a kid growing up I always heard you know so many baby boomers and rock journalists say like oh you know the 70s let down the idealism of the 60s you know everybody was trying to make the world a better place in the 60s you hear a little bit of that in uh, what's going on and then by you know the middle and late 70s it's all it's all about sex and everybody's given up sex and, partying on trying to and make and fucking yeah. disco right? and everybody's kind of given up on making the world a better place but I will say uh, in defense of Marvin and those who were into freeing up the sexuality of the nation and the, the, you know, the mass, you know, human mind, if you will, Um, you know, there had been a lot of religious trauma, you know, and there still is, you know, so to them, this would have seemed like the next step. And I know that Marvin Gaye said in releasing, let's get it on. He really wanted to make sure that people saw sex as a way of connecting with God. And so to him, after fixing society through political, uh, means. It was important for him to try and fix people's spirituality and their view on God via sex
1: because... Well, you that's know, so important to talk about yeah. too in the context of Marvin and his life, because yeah. Marvin, Marvin is a person, such a troubled figure historically, just like looking at his story is really tragic. I mean, not just the way he was killed by his father, shot dead at age 40. (laughs) Heavy. Heavy stuff, but his whole experience with his father and his father's sexuality and his father being a preacher and his hidden transvesticism, Which,
0: again, is something that I feel like I didn't know about his father's sort of ordeal about that. I... I I was fascinated to learn that the E at the end of Gay was not there at his birth. That was him he separating e. himself from his father. Separating himself, like, but also giving associated. a shout out to Sam Cook, who also yeah, had a silent right. E at the end of his name. Yeah. And I guess that Marvin had to deal with like you know schoolboy taunts. You know, with the yeah. having the last name gay. So in another way, like, this E solved a lot of his own personal
1: issues. But you were just saying, I mean, he he was obviously so traumatized by that early childhood experience of his father's conflicted sexuality, it sounds like, and his father's being a preacher, that the sort of mix of church and sexuality... And music for for Marvin Gaye was a, an avenue to figure it out in a lot of ways to sort it's, of it's really, understand really and Story himself.
0: apparently, if you look at the Midnight Special episode that Marvin Gaye did in the mid seventies, there's a person who looks like a woman in the audience wearing a, a, a wig and That's a dress, his dad, right? And it's
1: his dad. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which is again like just something like considering that his father was like this diehard preacher who you know I, I don't think it can really be debated abused his wife abused his kids and and, and, like tortured him and never spared the rod so to speak um it's just it's just a really intense story
1: so marvin getting into his sexuality with this song with let's get it on was obviously a choice that he made that was even more fraught and weight it's already culturally in 73 to be doing it was a big deal Mm -hmm. i think financially from the perspective of like the, like, Motown record label not yeah. wanting this big change <laughs> to happen. To it. it was no. a big choice. And last but not least, personally, his own personal experience, he's being incredibly brave and vulnerable to come out and say, I'm a sexual being. Sex yeah. is okay. It's 1973, and I'm Marvin Gaye and Motown. Be damned.
0: And yet the reception of this album is remarkable. Like, you know, again, growing up in the <laughs> shadow of the Baby Boomers, I would have thought that what's going on was the biggest record of his career. But no. Let's Get It On comes out and not only outsells what's going on, but it puts him on a whole new level with a pop audience. Like this song, Let's Get It On, goes to number one. Yes. a overtly black sexual song goes to number one and in a lot of ways allows for the Barry Whites. Uh, And even it it causes a career change in the songwriting of people like Lionel Richie and... and, uh, And Maurice White with Earth, Wind, and Fire, like it opens up almost like a whole new genre and a whole new space for R&B that, to some extent, continues to this day. I think that when we think about R&B in the '60s, it's kind of rocking. It's kind of like a version of like the British rock and the American rock. Like they kind of have like these dance tempos. From the '70s on, R&B goes towards love and romance and love making. Whereas rock sort of stays on a like, right. you know, get up and, and, and rage out.
1: But vibe. to your point and the explicit sexuality that's ushered in with this song before it was romance, it was James Brown is pleading. Mm-hmm. There's like sex, there's sexiness and there's romance, but it's not as like James Brown screaming is not sexy right. in quite the same way. As let's get no, it on. This is, crooning. This is orgasmic screams right, 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 right. on
0: the record. I mean, like we haven't even talked about some of the other songs on the album, but you sure love the ball. Like you know, there <laughs> there are uh, voices not doing any things punches. on there. Not pulling that any May not be heard again for a while. And I think the only person who might have gotten to it first might have been Serge Gainsbourg with right. uh, you know his songs of like the, Je t'aime like moi sisters. non plus. Okay, the, uh, the foreplay is over. We told you, put
2: the kids to bed. <laughs> the
1: kids to bed. <laughs> okay After
0: the it. break, we'll be pressing play on the stems to this wonderful song and hearing Marvin Gaye's vocals as well as that wah-wah pedal when we get back. Thanks to the U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for the sustainable makeover of our podcast studio and for sparking discussions on greener Hollywood production. Just like notes in a song, sustainable living is just a series of small, eco-friendly choices that contribute to the melody. Check out the Tears for Fears episode of one song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how they pulled the whole look together. It's all on At Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes.
2: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say,
0: Welcome back to One Song. Okay, before we get to these sexy stems, you have a little bit of backstory for us.
1: Right, I'm going to lead you up. Uh, we, we were talking about What's Going On, which came out in 1971. Yeah. And um, Barry, G- here's the exact quote from Barry Gordy. I found that, the worst record I ever heard in my life is what he said before he turned. <laughs> you
0: about what's going on? Or what's going
1: on? When, when, oh. when Marvin turned What's Going On in to, to Barry Gordy, the head yeah. of Motown Records founder, he <laughs> said, this is the worst record I ever heard in my life. Marvin, you're absolutely insane. And this is going to be the biggest fiasco that ever was. I,
0: I, I could tell you right now, what Gordy
1: didn't hear was a hit single. Right, he was he, like, I don't hear no singles. Yeah. I mean, it didn't sound like anything that had come before, uh-uh. but that's how art works. And that's why there's this always this sort of well, tension you know, between in, art and commerce. Defa- and
0: let me say, I, am never, I have never <laughs> stated this sentence in my life. In defense of Barry Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> um Listen, sometimes you hear a big swing and you're just like there's no way. I right. remember the first time I heard Justin Timberlake's uh i sexy back. Yeah. I remember thinking I like house music. Yeah, me too. This I know exactly is what
1: you say. It's a weirdo song. I thought it sounded so a, corny because the production is so corny. Song. It's like a it's like a bad mm-hmm. house track that the kick drum wasn't quite right. This the, like the sounds were wrong. And I totally for know what a you mean.
0: solid two years as a DJ, <laughs> you could not get out of not yeah. playing it. Like and now at I weddings like it. and clubs and everywhere. But the first time I heard it, I was like, "I this is weird." And the, there's a it felt <laughs> corny with the "Come Here, Girl." It didn't <laughs> even sound like so a good house. I was like, them. I was already into like dap Punk and and yeah. other cool stuff. I was like, "This does not sound so, good." You know what, Barry Gordy? Sometimes you just can't hear it. And sometimes he, the he artist can't. Can. He can't be perfect. Um, yeah, Barry Gordy generally a perfect individual but not in this case so he didn't like what's yeah. going on thought it was going to be a big flop
1: by the way fun fact do you know i don't know if you already know this but do you you know at the beginning of what's going on there's like a party noise people talking do you know who those people oh, are yeah, absolutely you know who they are
0: uh it's don cornelius right no it's it's oh i'm thinking of uh got to give it up that's that's don cornelius and a bunch of people hanging out in the studio is that true I don't yes know it that. is but tell me who who are the voices we hear at the beginning it's of what's two members up. of
1: the detroit lions <laughs> who then sense. tried to recruit Marvin to join the team, and apparently he did <laughs> consider trying out until it was he was Marvin convinced was not athlete. to do that. Marvin was an athlete, you yeah. know, like
0: little side little <laughs>
1: sidestep here.
0: But Marvin Gaye would go line. on Soul Train with his friend. Don Cornelius, and they would actually roll a basketball hoop onto the dance floor, and they would like shoot basketball. And I was thinking, like, you could have like the ultimate fantasy basketball team of like legendary singers. If you had <laughs> Marvin Gaye, right? Prince. Maybe Prince at yeah, yeah, like yeah. shooting guard. Yeah. Like <laughs> Master P, apparently, almost made uh, the Pelicans. Okay, you know, and they just need like two other people. I'm I gonna, not- I'm gonna, gonna imagine French thing. Montana. I think was pretty good at Rutgers. I'm sure the internet could correct me if I was well, not. No, no, no. By-
1: They'll be distracted by the fact that I had no idea there was a team called the Pelicans. <laughs> uh, I, I've Orleans, been out of the, the loop for a while. The Pelicans, if I'm not mistaken. I just haven't paid attention to basketball for quite some time. <laughs> Is Cornbread Maxwell still playing? Oh, gosh. We need to talk. But that's a subject for another time. But you were saying
0: about Let's Get It On.
1: So the, just a little bridge to how we get to Let's Get It On. After the huge success of What's Going On, Marvin's next album was actually shelved. In 72, he was gonna he put he recorded an entire record called You're the Man, and they did, uh, yeah, Motown refused that, to yeah. put it out. But they did offer him the soundtrack to a block exploitation film called Trouble Man. You have to remember, this is the era. Great great album. Forgotten it, I'm so excited album. to play. This is this is not my I'm not gonna use up my one more song. This is just a song <laughs> I'm gonna play. play. One of my favorite songs from this record. So this comes out in 72, which is right. Isaac Hayes' Shaft comes out in '71. Curtis Mayfield's Superfly comes out a few months earlier in '72. It's in the air. These incredible composers, black musicians that are making these black exploitation soundtracks. And um, one of my favorite songs, I'm going to play for you now. This is Marvin Gaye. By the way, he composed and did the entire score himself. He's playing a lot of the instruments. This song is called "T Plays It Cool," and it's such a funky jam. And you're hearing Marvin play everything on this except for sax. Here we go. And it's important to remember because That's we a had great song. it's such a great song it's such a great jam and this is where we have K- to, K- we have to reestablish the fact by the way that going backwards for just a minute don't forget that Marvin Gaye was a multi-instrumentalist and when he was at Motown Marvin actually is the drummer on The Marvelettes Please Mr Postman No he's, way he's the drummer on Stevie Wonder's Fingertips Nice and he's a co-writer and the drummer on Martha and the Vandellas Dancing in the Streets
0: No way Stop.
1: So, Marvin, multi talented. Postman and yeah. Dancing of the Streets, yeah. two
0: amazing classic tracks. Yeah. That's, that's Marvin on he, the drums.
1: You got Marvin on the drums. And I didn't um, know. yeah, that's. But here, uh,
0: can I tell you one thing that you don't know about the Trouble Man soundtrack? Okay, tell me about it. I'm taking it back to me and Bashir's earliest uh, forays into comedy. We wanted to find a name for our sketch group. Okay. Uh, and we were sitting there with our original sketch group members. Nobody was famous. Nobody had done anything yet, really, uh, in the business. It was me, Bashir. Uh, Wyatt Sinek, who mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners will know, Robin yes, Thede. I know them all. Uh, <laughs> we got to get them all on the show. If you guys are yeah, listening, come on the show. Nevertari Spencer, Nika King, who is on uh, Euphoria, mm-hmm. uh, Angela Yarborough, and uh, Thomas Frazier. And the name that we decided for mm-hmm. our group. Was Cleo's apartment? Oh, that's a, Cleo's one of the song on the on the soundtrack. We got that name from the Trouble Man soundtrack. Is so, it
1: a good movie? Should we watch this movie? And, and part of our you know we're going to do we're going to do some one song movie nights. I'm is what like, I'm feeling. Like. We should. We yeah. should one yeah. movie.
0: We we should um, you know, like all black exploitation films. There's some stuff in there that is extremely ridiculous and goofy, but there's some that's like. You're kind of amazed at like the filmmaking that goes involved. And and they're all different. Yeah. Some I love, some I'm just like, oof.
1: And the music is great. This record, it sounds like you can imagine Portishead going crazy with samples on Absolutely. this. You know, it's like it's very Beth Gibbons, but it's Marvin Gaye. You know, it's a really great underrated record. So this is what he does after that record is shelved. Let's talk about the song, Let's Get It On. It's released in June 15th, 1973. And this is two years again after what's going on. Lots, lots has happened in between. Song ends up going to number one for two weeks uh, it's his second number one hit after I heard it through the grapevine and it's inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2004. So how did the song get made? Marvin hooks up with a producer named Ed Townsend who was formerly a doo-wop singer. He had a number 13 hit in the 50s called For Your Love. Basically, Gay is wanting to be the black Frank Sinatra. This is a quote from Smokey Robinson who says this. And part of this is hooking up with this particular singer who has experience working with strings. And he's Townsend is like
0: the secret sauce, for sure.
1: Townsend is the secret sauce. He's the co-writer of this song. He's the producer of the record. And it sounds like he is sort of a dream collaborator for Gay in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, importantly, Mr. Townsend has just come out of rehab for alcoholism. And when he started, he, he starts the song. He actually writes the first draft of Let's Get It On. And his lyrics are more religiously focused, I would say. Mm. It's more of a religious song. It's about overcoming addiction. And it is the line, let's get it on, is in there. But as hard as it is to imagine it being separated from its sexual meaning, at the time, let's get it on, for Ed Townsend, the original writer of that lyric, was let's get it on life. Let's get on with life. Let's get past addiction. So it's really interesting to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. There's also, though, a middle step before we get to the sex version, where it's rewritten once as a political song. Right, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Clearly, Gay is getting a little bit of heat for moving too far away from the, don't don't stray too far from this what's going (laughs) on thing. So the second version, he co-writes with Kenneth Stover, who's a co-writer, one of his collaborators. It's more political. I'll play a little bit of the demo for you now. And uh, you'll hear the exact same music. You'll hear a lot of similar melodic and and lyrical stuff happening. But the focus is more about, you know, understanding and brotherhood (laughs) and not sex.
2: (laughs) I know there should be
1: Right, so peace and love. I love that. It should be. It's like the Ringo Starr, <laughs> isn't that his catchphrase? Ringo Starr is always like peace and love. <laughs> so this is the Ringo. Maybe the that's R- where he got politics. it from. <laughs> Maybe this is where Ringo got that from. I mean, I peace and love is pretty. That, that's been I, out there as a line. That second version, which was more political, uh, co-writer Ed Townsend wasn't really crazy about it, and he just really pushed Marvin to go like go down this path of love and sexuality. That's that's what we're doing. That's what this should be about for you. So they got together. They rewrote the lyrics. And um, that's what the song is about. And I found this really cool quote. Marvin Gaye said, and again, going back to his personal journey and story, he was clearly making a very conscious choice to be vulnerable and to sort of take on this topic, which had been difficult for him, a difficult part of his life and upbringing. And he wants to embrace and and in a way preach to the rest of the world that sex is okay. So what he says here is, I can't see anything wrong with sex between consenting anybody's (laughs) I like the word anybody's I think we make far too much of it After all, one's genitals are just one part of the magnificent human body I contend that sex is sex and love is love When combined they work well together If two people are about the same mind, have your sex It can be very exciting if you're lucky I mean, I actually, I kind of agree And I feel like, you know
0: I I feel like his whole uh, thesis with this album was like we've, We've made too much of sex in a bad way And we've sort of forgotten that Sex is absolutely part of our programming. He's and sex that's,
1: positive in 1973. He puts the T.S. Eliot quote into
0: the album liner notes. You know, the life is, I believe, birth, copulation, and death. Which, you know, depending <laughs> on your mood, can be really depressing. Nasty. Yeah, really depressing, or also really life affirming. Yeah, it,
1: it is life affirming. I think sex positivity is about taking what's been in the shadows because we're a Puritan nation in our history. It's like all this stuff about like the most fundamental fact of existence <laughs>
0: is the copulation part. It's it's wild. I feel like with this song, uh, Marvin makes R and B the music of making love. I mean, like nowadays, if like someone says, "Oh, I have a makeout tape," as we <laughs> said <Right>. earlier, <laughs> like you don't immediately think like, "Oh, I'm gonna put on like you know a, a rock song." Like, no, you, you really did plant a flag for R and B as like the music of make- to the extent that even that wah wah pedal. I'm just thinking right now became sort of the soundtrack for like. It reminds me of a classic stand-up routine by a comedian. I, I looked it up. I think his name is Jordan Brady, but he was on a show called The A List, and all of us kids saw this routine. But it was in the early '90s, and he said, "Anytime you hear a wow wow pedal, you think of sex. You know, you think of bounce." Wow wow, like he coined it's that Pavlovian phrase. bow chicka wow wow, yeah. which was like, oh, 70s is that where that comes porn. from? That's where that comes from, apparently. And I think it, you know, between Barry White and before Barry White, let's get it on. The wah wah pedal just became synonymous with (laughs) with making love. It's a trigger. Yes.
1: It instantly it excites the
0: senses. (laughs) I want to apologize to my wife. We have we think that there's no less sexy phrase ironically than (laughs) making love, but you're gonna hear it a lot on this episode.
1: So speaking of wah pedal, we're about to get into the stems. We will we have to start with the guitar. The song starts with the wah guitar. So we're gonna start with we'll start with that in just a moment. First, let me back up and set the scene. It's March 13th, 1973. And one thing I do need to point out as we get into this is because there was the 50th anniversary, there was a lot of archival research that was done to sort of dig into who the performers were because mm-hmm. the notes taken on the day and literally the album liner notes are terrible. They just <laughs> list the songs and yeah. then there's a list of everybody who played on all the songs, but you don't know who played on what. Oh, wow. And part of why that's an, an issue is that half this record was made in Detroit yeah. with tapes that started years ago. History the other, USA. And the other half was made in Motown West in yeah. Los Angeles. West. And so along the way, a lot of records were lost, and there is some speculation required to match who played what mm-hmm. in One One What Day. So I did a lot of homework and I did a lot of research, and I think I got a pretty good job, but it may not be perfect. Let's start with the guitar. So here's how Let's Get It On begins. <laughs> I almost have to apologize for laughing, but it has gotten to the point where because of the TikTok or because of just 50 years of being in the culture, that wah, 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 it is almost a comical sexuality to it. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's fantastic. So what you're hearing, that is a wah pedal. And what is a wah pedal? We all know what it is, but what is it? Right, It's one of those things. Well, it's a pedal that was invented in the mid 60s by the Thomas Organ Company. It, what you're literally technically hearing is the sound of an envelope that's opening and closing. So you're sort of sweeping through the EQ. You're hearing the highs, not the lows with your foot. So somebody is as they're performing on guitar, they're playing the part, the notes. Mm-hmm. They're moving their foot up and down, and it goes wah. It's like opening and closing your mouth, essentially, is mm-hmm. the closest analogy I could think. Wow, wow. That's why wah wah is what it's called. Wow. And the origin, wow. the origin of the wah. This is really interesting. Comes from a white trumpeter in the 30s named Clyde McCoy. Literally a McCoy from the Hatfield McCoy dispute. Okay. Okay. And in the 30s, he was famous for having a sound where he used his trumpet with a wah or a mute. Yeah, with a mute. And it, totally. like, and it sounded like this.
0: I'm just going to put this out there. <laughs> I, I'm just going to put this out there. I think he might be the guy credited. Oh, but no doubt. it is jazz. No doubt. Because <laughs> and, it is jazz, he definitely and, stole it from a black and man who did it first. there's probably a black guy out there. 100% true. <laughs> Lamont Hatfield, <laughs> who uh, who might have beat him to that, it. <laughs> maybe that's the origin of yeah, the dispute. Who knows? But you know, we,
1: we may never find out. But it's, that is an important distinction to make. He is the one credited. He's the one I don't credited. think we are confident <laughs> enough to say he invented it. We don't it. know. He popularized it. Sure. Made it famous. And when the first wah pedal came out, they called it the Clyde McCoy. Cool. It is a tribute to him. So, long story short, this becomes the sound of late 60s rock and roll, heavy rock. This is Hendrix. This is Clapton and Cream. I mean, I, I typically hear that Hendrix is, you know,
0: usually accredited with popularizing the use of the wah wah guitar.
1: I think so too. And I think it's because of this song. This is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs>
2: Bo, one and one and
1: That is such an iconic Mm -hmm. sound and intro, and what's innovative and new, it's like a new tool for guitarists in the 60s, because you have to remember that if you're playing guitar in the 60s, your palette is relatively limited. You don't have all the effects that we've come to be accustomed to to this day. And when the wah pedal came out, suddenly you could make it sound literally more human. It does sound like the human voice. It does have that wah-wah thing happening. So it becomes this new way of expressing your sound, new way of expressing your guitar. So I think that the Jimi Hendrix example is probably is among the first and definitely one of the, it blew up as a result of that is everyone wanted to emulate and be like Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. no doubt. All the guitar players that followed in his wake. Um, Who's gonna, the guitarist who plays this on Let's Get It On? You have to guess which of these three names played the okay, wah, because I did, I did two hours of research to get to this. <laughs> there are three guitarists named, there's Don Peake, Arthur Wright, and Melvin Wawa Reagan. <laughs> Who do you think Don played Peak. the intro? All the way, all the money. It was Don
0: Peake. <laughs> oh, was it really. Yes. <laughs> oh, nice. okay.
1: Don Peake, poor guy. He's like, it was me. The guy's name was Wawa, but he didn't play it. <laughs> so he's out there on the internet trying to make a noise for himself, fair, uh, reasonably, That's fair. reasonably That's fair. so, because it was him. So this is Don Peake playing that, and I'm going to play it for you now, from isolated, the stems. okay, from the stems, isolated in the mix, oh. Don Peake with that iconic intro. And one thing I want to say is that for the first... It's it's kind of fun isolating the stems on this for the guitar because for the first minute and a half, he's doing that. He's kind of like playing around, noodling. There's not a lot of things that he repeats. There's not mm. like a riff that he kind of like finds. And then a minute and a half in, he kind of locks into this kind of chuck. I'll play th- that for you in a second, mm-hmm. which sounds like this. And I'll give you some drums so you know how that fits. Just on the two and four... Just keeping the tempo. And that's really all he plays for the rest of the song, aside from in the sort of B section. But the first minute and a half, he's noodling yeah. around. There's some mistakes that are really kind of funny. There's one I, in the interview. To this day, he still cringes because it's you hear it in the background. Um, and I had never noticed it until I heard it. And here it is. This is his clam at second 15. Okay, here it is.
0: I mean, it doesn't sound like a mistake to me.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit sharp. What up? Whee? It's just this <laughs> tiny bit of. It's a tiny they little thing. Ham,
0: but I'm gonna say let that one slide, man. Because they did. to me, they I let I it think slide. It sounds good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely. Here's here's one more clam, and they call let, me
0: at Townsend. I'm like, it stays in the mix. <laughs> you hear that one? There's a little bonk. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but but that. You're like that one's very much in the mix. You hear that one? I gotta say right off the bat. I didn't realize until just now how much I like the drums on yeah. this song. Like the drums bring so much, the way that they come in strong, the way that they keep the tempo. Like the drums are really, really good. Should we hear some drums? I'd love to hear some drums.
1: This is Paul Humphrey on drums, uh, who also famously is the drummer on Steely Dan's "Black Cow."
0: Oh wow! Okay, let's hear some. Let's hear some Paul Humphrey's
1: simple groove interesting about this is listen to that kick drum boom it's on the four now as a drummer like if we, we both as drummers if we were playing boom i probably wouldn't play that four i'd just go boom cab boom boom cab but he's going boom cab boom boom boom
0: which it's is interesting, really i mean like right? there's also like a little bit of a like there's a little bit on that snare that i had not noticed but now ghost i'm notes. aware that
1: i feel it you feel it Even though I wasn't paying attention to it, he's the man and play uh, a few of his interesting fills. (laughs) That kind of throws in that
0: little little buzz at the end. Yeah, he's having more fun with that snare than I would have thought.
1: Woo! That's a fun fill to play. Yeah. A couple of open hat chokes there. And then one more fill. And that's him. He's moving into the B section there. Uh huh. Just something interesting about the structure of the song, by the way, is that it has just two musical sections. Mm-hmm. It's really just kind of a groove the whole time. Yeah. And that B section, which we just went into, and I'll play for you what that means. It's it's this part of the song. Ah, oh, we got the guy on the bongos, huh? Yeah, yeah. Those bongos are a little boosted, so <laughs> a little louder than they are in the real mix. Other than that, we've got like kind of this really long intro. It's 45 seconds of intro. And then we have, I would border on saying, a almost chorus free song. Like mm-hmm. this isn't something where there's this big build and then the chorus. It's a B section. It's that part I just played for you, but it feels more like a bridge. It's just like, I feel a like change. it feels like
0: verse bridge, and then it's chorus just from the
1: lyrics, but just the, the lyrics. chorus
0: sounds like the verse.
1: But it is the verse. It's yeah, the you know, the that's same what I'm music. saying. Yeah, like, yeah. To your point, it it,
0: musically, yeah. it's kind of like two parts. Right. You it's know. very, very
1: simple groove. Yeah. So that's the drums. And, and um, even that
0: bridge, what we're calling the bridge, is more of a build to the chorus, which musically is just the verse
1: again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if anything, it feels like we need to change this. Actually, to, to that point... On the album, there is a second version of "Let's Get It On," right. which is called "Keep, Keep Getting, Getting it, 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 on? it On." Yeah, and they don't have the B section. Absolutely, it's just straight three minutes of it's just the, same the way straight on, groove. Uh, on "I Want
0: You," there's the song "I Want You," then like about halfway in, there's the "I Want You" instrumental. Yeah, it's, which as a DJ, you would often play that, like when you were like, yeah. you know, trying to set the mood.
1: It, it feels very much constructed. There was an awareness, like, look, we need for there to be a change for it to be radio friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like on the dance floor, like you know, but you know, to that point. James Brown records famously have Let's Take It to the Bridge. That's just so you have a break from the 10-minute groove you just started at <laughs> yeah. and you're about to go into again. So that's kind of what that feels like. That's more of a funk-inspired break from from the action. So let's keep it moving with the bass. This is Wilton Felder from the band The Crusaders. Um, second half of this record I mentioned has the Detroit players, the, the Detroit performers from Motown and the Funk Brothers. So James Jamerson is not on this track. The internet is wrong. It's Wilton Felder. And here he is playing a little foreshadowing of what we'll be talking about later in the episode, a bass line that a certain redheaded I th- A bass line I think is iconic. That we all think is iconic. Okay, I'm glad you said the word, not me. Because <laughs> it's dead simple. ¶¶ Here it is with some drums. And he's mostly just playing that four chord cycle, four note cycle, Mm -hmm. throughout the track. I will play this one moment where he gets a little bit fancy, a little teensy bit fancy with a, a fill or two. Just trying to keep him, keep himself interested for the five minute duration of playing four notes, yeah. <laughs> uh, minus the B section, I should say. So that's, uh, Wilton Felder on bass. Um, Thank
0: you, Wilton Felder for, for all, your service. all of the people walking around on planet earth <laughs> that you helped facilitate with that super sexy
1: bass line. <laughs> super sexy. Oh, let's not forget there's a second guitar, by the way. And, uh, this one's a little bit more on the comping kind of chords, mm. uh, tip and, um, I don't know who this is, but I did mention those three players before. Uh, it's one of the other two. It's either Arthur Wright or Melvin Wawa. <laughs> Might be Melvin Wawa. <laughs> Might be Melvin Wawa not playing the, playing the non-Wawa part, and here it is. <laughs> and here's how it sounds with the other guitar, actually. It's crazy when you
0: just have that one in there the one that we've noticed probably the least yeah it sounds a lot more like an al green song
1: yes that's you know a great what I mean? point yeah it, it sounds like Simpler, al green yeah. who
0: you know is another one who i think had like some great slow jams yes uh, big al green fan around yeah. the same time yeah yeah
1: I think also there was some heavy competition between gay and green. I, I read some interview where the interviewer like mentions Al Green almost in passing and then mm-hmm. his tone gay's tone <laughs> changes immediately, gets kind of like a little like more aggro. <laughs>
0: I wonder if that's because I mean like Al eventually becomes a reverend. Maybe maybe mm. Al reminded him too much of his dad or something. It could know. be.
1: <laughs> and by the way, so that guitar part just playing chords, really keeping it simple, which is very similar to what the piano is doing. Not a lot of fancy stuff. And in fact when I heard the guitar part, I, I almost wasn't sure if it was a piano. I'll play you the piano and then I'll mix the two and tell me if you can tell them apart. And this is Joe Sample also from the Crusaders playing the piano and also played on Steely Dan's Black Cow. <laughs> and now i add the guitar. You can't even hear the guitar because they're practically no, playing the same part all together. so good, man. It does sound mean, good, yeah.
0: I mean, geez, it sounds like... Nice and nice and meaty. That's a chunky piano going on there. Beefy. <laughs> Very church, too, right? Very church. Beautiful, I feel beautiful like, I feel like uh, if we had Duran Bernard on the show, he yeah. would be freaking out because he loves that churchy piano. <laughs> yeah, he does. It he sounds does. great.
1: It sounds so good. It sounds so good. This whole entire song is produced so beautifully and, and recorded so beautifully. So... On saxophone, so this is another situation where we've got three different names in the credits. I'm pretty sure this is Ernie Watts. Ernie Watts. Uh, it might, however, be Pias Pias Johnson. Uh, it could be Buddy Collette. Different sources have different names.
0: Just DM us the real answer. Just DM everybody. us the
1: real answer if you're one of these guys. We'll try to spread the word. <laughs> or their uh, estates. And here's the sax part. So that's happening in the, in the horn section. We've got mm-hmm. um, perhaps those three names in some mix. But here's the thing. If that's Ernie Watts, that'd be great because he is the guy who did this. <laughs> that's right. Ernie Watts did the Night Court theme song. <laughs> However, if it wasn't Ernie Watts and it was instead P.S. Johnson, he's the guy who has the sax solo on this <laughs> so we're not sure <laughs> which horn player who did which theme song it could have is, also been the third guy it could have been the third guy poor buddy colette know. i don't have any theme songs for him <laughs> poor guy do y'all i'm sure you're as excited as our audience is to hear i am marvin's isolated vocals yes. we're gonna get to that we're gonna get to that okay but first when we were talking about this episode, planning what to do, the idea of a makeout tape kept on coming up. So I think we kind of need to pause for a second. So I've got to ask you, Diallo, what is on your ultimate? Ultimate. What would be the ultimate makeout tape for you?
0: Well, I, you know, I haven't made a makeout tape uh, since my cassette deck broke. But um, I will say that this does come back to my relationship with this song. I'd probably heard this song in various ways, you know, growing up, but it was actually not until college in the mid 90s when I was like, Trying to make a make tape and a buddy of mine was like he was like, Oh man, I got the old chicken this out. And I remember this song came on and I was just like about the time the drums came on, I was like, Whoa, that sounds like audible sex. Like it was like a, <laughs> it was a different okay. I relationship with it.
1: Something than about I the music that had. really just was crossed the line. About, into- something
0: about let's get it on, the way that those drums came in, like it just didn't matter that it was already a song over 25 years old or something like that. Like, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, that's got to go on there. And I think just because of when I was around, like, I think about the other songs on there. There was, um, you know, Die Without You by uh, PM Dawn made the cut. Um, There was, uh, there was actually a Nusher song off his first album uh, that made the cut. There was the House of Music uh, album by Tony, Tony, Tony that I kind of like. Sampled liberally from just because so many good, you know, um, for the lack of a better term, makeout songs, and then of course the waiting to exhale soundtrack was 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 really big.
1: Hey, and you know what, you Let's let's just hear one. Of, let's hear like pick pick your <laughs> well, number one. I know this is like a, a Sophie's choice, but like, what is right. the number one jam out of all um, sex jam? Out I, of I all think
0: those? one of the ones I have to mention is "Lay Your Head on My Pillow" by Tony Tony Tony.
2: Lay your head on my pillow.
0: Yeah, I mean like the song was produced by Tony Tony Tony, which tells me that it was the Wiggins brothers, um, Rafael Sadiq and uh Dwayne and uh the I believe the drummer, the guitarist is uh Timothy Riley. Okay. That, no relation as I, as far as I know to Teddy.
1: Sexy slow jam. That's that's your number <laughs> one. Do, is that still your go to? Not anymore. I mean, like, um, you know replace. what's
0: interesting about make-out songs? We share a special relationship with them in that if you're in a relationship and, like, that's your make-out song with one person, like, it feels wrong to – so I retired that one before even the end of the 90s okay. and long before my, my current wife – and we have our own – you know so she's never out, experienced so. that particular song <laughs> no she's not going to know that that Diallo was young i was like you know she's better off for not having that I see. you know i will say that uh my song with my uh wife is uh, sure thing by miguel um and it's not even just a, a make out song it's like you know a song that i associate with us dating and falling in love and even when we got married so i think our current can we hear that one i'd love to hear it sure it's a uh, sure this is a sure thing by Miguel. you,
2: I'm reporter, baby, you could
0: Okay. Be All right, we have pulled the curtain back on right. my sexy times. Now we
1: know. I feel like I you revealed a lot <laughs> in a vulnerable way. I, I appreciate I that's a theme vulnerable. of the show. Very I vulnerable. I feel exposed.
0: Yeah. Luxury. What. What went on your makeup day? I'm so curious. Right. When I,
1: when I wanted to get down, and uh, you know, in my <laughs> earlier years, I would just put this on, and you know, ladies would melt. Oh, wait, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that's the I, wrong one. I, I believe that's this the wrong one.
0: <laughs> not true. This is not
1: that's, that's, that's your makeout music. I, I, meant, I meant to do this one. Oh yeah, we get freaky to Vivaldi. You know it. Big Cap. You know it. I'm calling it. Big Cap. There's no you way this was your it. makeup music. That's nah, true. I was I was lying. <laughs> That's not, that's not, but you, part of you was like, no, nah, this can't, you thought it was, that it was more of a, it's not that you thought I was joking. It's that you thought this can't possibly be true. I hope it's not true. No, that's what was more happening. like,
0: it's almost too cool for school. I want to, mm. I <laughs> want the vulnerable you exposed as I've exposed myself, not in that way, HR. What is your make out music?
1: I think you cannot <laughs> beat this. I mean, to this day. Okay. Oh,
0: okay. First I note. Uh, yeah. I, by the way, already knew it from the first, first note. note.
1: That beat uh, I've wanted to. This is one of those songs where everything about mm-hmm. it. That beat I have wanted. That is a. It's Prince. Erotic City with yeah. Sheila E. And this is the B-side. it wasn't it's even a B-side. single. It was the B-side to it's, what? Uh oh, I want Let's say, get crazy. Let's go, let's go crazy. It's Let's go crazy. It's the B-side to It's <laughs> the B-side it to Let's go crazy style. <laughs> it's the B-side to Let's go crazy, which means which means that I am first hearing it literally at age 12 when I bought that record <laughs> and on the flip side I'm hearing this song. Is she One saying, of the most egregious uses of funk. I was gonna say <laughs> of that's of the best part of the song. How many years <laughs> did it take me personally, yeah. to kind of really pick up on the fact that she ain't saying what you think she's saying? I mean, like, I do we have the stems to that? Because there's no way she says funk. I think. This is masterful because I think you're right, <laughs> but it's somehow massaged into you simultaneously thinking that it's. Wait, she can't have said that, but she did say it. But no, it's definitely funk. Brilliant song.
0: All right. Let, all right. Well, we we have exposed ourselves yet again,
1: <laughs> but let's expose some vocals. This subtext I mean, of the subtext show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Male vulnerability. You know that we love to do this. <laughs> we love to do male vulnerability. And what a better on the episode show. than this one. Marvin's um, vulnerability is seeping into our beings. right Two now. guys yeah. talking about love on today's show. <laughs> uh, what other the stems do we have from "Let's Get It On"? We got a few more left. Um, we're gonna we're gonna hear some strings. Yeah. We're gonna hear some vibes, and then we're gonna hear some vocals. So let's start with the strings. Yeah, this is a string section of indeterminate number because records <laughs> weren't kept. Yeah, but yeah. I do know that the name of the <laughs> Barry uh, liked it that way. The <laughs> arranger and conductor is Renee Hall. This is all recorded live, and uh, let's hear some of those gorgeous strings. So there's some, some, some counterpoint going on there. The mm-hmm. lower strings are kind of mirroring the chords and the bass line, and we've got some melodies on top. Let's find one more part. It's interesting. Like, it's, it's kind of funky, I would say Eh, bordering on funky. Just a little bit of that You know, I have a very complicated
0: relationship with the word funky. Like, I I just, maybe it's because of my age. Anytime I hear the word funky, I hear like... It's white person (laughs) saying funky funky. There's something, it's like somebody unironically saying, it's jazzy. When you got (laughs) classical
1: players and strings on a Motown, a Marvin Gaye track, it is the equivalent of me saying the word funky.
0: But you know, I will say, I love gay's use of violins in general i mean like those violins are part of what really get me there emotionally when i'm listening to what's going on i i i don't They're also I, on it, grapevine too it's
1: also like a motown that's true stable. that's yeah. true it's, it's yeah. definitely
0: a motown thing it's definitely that thing like you need to feel like a class act which is why they had names like you know the the parliaments and right. the the, the supreme right, like the you know it was, it was aspirational it's, it was like right. the cleanest of the clean um i don't they don't have the same effect on this album or on I Want You, which are just coming along at a different time in the culture, but they're still their their presence is felt, especially that first violin part you played. I, yeah. I love that sound.
1: Yeah. So beautiful, so lush, so simple. And just adds another dimension to the, whole, to the entire song. Yeah. Let's go to the vibes. Are these like a vibraphone? This is Vibraphone by, pretty sure it's by Victor Feldman. You hear the bleed again. This is... The band is playing together. It's really playing the chords there.
0: Again, it's like that Motown thing where it's like, I want it to sound elevated and super clean, you yeah. know? It's almost Orchestral. the opposite of what, um, you know, the Stones and other, you know, British bands, they wanted muddy waters. They wanted yeah. like that down, get it out of the mud type sound. Right. And this is Barry like, no, you know, black people have been through a lot. We want it to sound <laughs> clean. And, and to a certain extent, it, it doesn't, surprise me the these musicians goes on and plays in Steely Dan because you know I feel like Steely Dan has a very clean sound which is one of the reasons why hip hop artists love to sample Steely Dan you right. know, Yeah, know it's very clean and you can hear precise, all the in- right. yeah all the precise and ind- also the
1: choice of the vibes as an instrument is interesting because it's at the intersection of mm-hmm. being a classical instrument yeah. being a jazz instrument oh, yeah. Lionel Hampton etc and this is a song that's R&B and soul and pop. There's so many different genre kind of characteristics floating around to make what Let's Get It On is ultimately. And the vibes add another element of jazz, I would I would argue. Classically, classical jazz.
0: All right. Now, with no further delay, we are going to talk about one of the greatest voices in not just R&B history, but one of the greatest voices of the 20th century, Marvin Gaye, uh, a voice so silky and perfect that he could take other people's songs and have bigger hits. It's important to note, he wasn't the first singer on I Heard It Through the Grapevine." It was a Gladys Knight and the Pips song, but it is the Marvin Gaye version that we all know and love. It's just a phenomenal voice, and we have it for you now.
2: I've been really trying, baby Trying to hold back this feeling for so long uh,
1: Let's just keep listening. I mean, I don't want to stop I,
0: I do want to say, everybody, this is the voice of a 34-year-old yeah. person, by the way. Yeah. Let's keep hearing. And
1: if
2: you feel like I feel, baby, then come on. Oh, come on.
1: Woo! Let's get it on. This is one of those songs, like, yeah. like, like under pressure. I feel offended by myself stopping this. <laughs> I don't want to stop we it. We just have to pause and talk. But one thing talk. that jumps out to me immediately
0: yeah. is, like, you can hear him... Like on the louder parts coming back off the mic. Yeah. And then getting in close for Good the whisper. Mic Let's yeah. get it on. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. but then he backs like I, oh, I love yeah. this. I love that you can sort of like figure out where he is in the room when he's singing different parts.
1: Well, and by the way, so what we just heard, it's 45 seconds till we get to that, that's the intro. Right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. kind of the chorus as an intro. That's as much of a chorus as we get, is The Beatles did a lot of that. Jumping around chorus Let's as an get intro. On. Yeah. And then here's verse one.
2: We're all sensitive people. With so much to give Understand me sugar
1: And this is also the part of the song where the backing vocals come in. So let's hear what that sounds like. It's super beautiful.
2: Ooh, since we got to be here.
1: That's all, Marvin on backing vocals.
2: Let's live I love you.
1: So beautiful, so awesome. simple Let's keep going. There's nothing wrong
2: there's nothing wrong with, with me. me loving you baby now no and giving yourself to me can never be wrong that's
1: no, this, the end of this that, that part last part time. is so impressive
0: yeah let it go ooh, ooh,
2: Let me don't you know you. how let sweet and wonderful you. life can be let me love. That let
1: me love you. Mm-hmm. interesting
2: counterpoint. I'm asking you, baby, to get it on with me. Let me love. Ooh, ooh. Let me love.
1: Now's probably a good time as any to bring up the fact that according to the book by Ben Edmonds, yeah. Marvin Gaye, The Last Days of Motown Sound. Uh, there is a woman in the room and she's quite young. And it's not his wife. It's not his <laughs> it's wife. <not> <laughs> it's it soon to be his. it is soon to be his next wife and the That's mother true. of his two children. Yeah. And uh, I found this great quote that kind of explains what Marvin's headspace is mm-hmm. as he's singing these lyrics, as he's singing these vocals we've just been hearing. Yeah. This is um, Janice Hunter. This is Janice yeah. Hunter, soon to be his wife. The presence of this young girl compelled him to perform the song to her and in doing so, it was transformed into the masterpiece of raw emotion we know so well. That's right. So there's one
0: more part of the song I'd love to hear. It's that part at the very end when Marvin really just lets his voice go crazy. He starts can, letting can you play go, it yeah. for
1: us? Sure, sure. Let's hear a little some some of that stuff towards the end.
2: You don't have to worry that it's wrong. If the spirit moves you, let me you. Go. Good, let the love come down. oh.
1: Can't stop <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so no many bad good parts, parts in there's there. There's no bad parts,
0: no, ooh, bad parts. Uh,
1: ooh, you oh, know, you got so that, delicious.
0: you got uh, gosh, there's so many wonderful parts in there. Not you know, aside from the loudest part, the most you know, in the spotlight yeah. part, there's so many
1: good thoughts in there. I yeah. mean, the man had so many, so many hooks. In his head, there's so much sweetness on the on the sort of background ooing and cooing, and then there's the just sort of sanctify. Speaking of which, there's a funny section I'm going to play for you now because Marvin's doing all the ad libs kind yeah. of in this section, and he starts to run out of ideas. So he asks Ed Towns and his co-writer, his producer, he goes, "What should I do here?" So Ed goes, "You know, how about something like sanctify?" So Marvin <laughs> Marvin literally, so Marvin literally sings something like sanctify. Here that is
2: some Ooh. like sanctify that's like,
1: that's like say good
0: night Alice good night Alice <laughs> exactly. good night Gracie <laughs> yeah exactly um that's great I didn't know that's why I even said that but the thing I always liked about sanctified right lyric. and then the claps clap. come in you hear right. that clap hey, hey. Girl, you good so which just reminds you that this that it's a human in the studio it's not and that AI. that gets us
1: back to the church thing too, right? And it just we go out. It's only the last 15-20 seconds that those claps are in there. There's something yeah.
0: so cool and uh mature and human about Marvin Gaye in ways that like, you know, sometimes gets lost in the sauce yeah. in some of today's music. Yeah, it's just like it's it's so human. You you feel like there's a human singing there, I, which absolutely. tells me that at some point there's going to be an AI function <laughs> where they're going to have Marvin Gaye AI Marvin Gaye singing over. Like, I don't you know. know how you would even do
1: that. I mean, you could train. <laughs> it's not going to be good. How would you even do that? That there's so much raw human emotion. It would be all Uncanny Valley stuff, which oh, is man. what we already have mostly. I know. Well, we like... did that one episode though. Remember the Madonna? We did the Massive yeah, Attack episode. Exactly. So we showed what would it have been like if Madonna, Madonna had saying? done Teardrop by Massive Attack, <laughs> and that didn't sound right. But the art. On a grande version that kind of sounded, sounded possible, a like sounded plausible, yeah, it sounded so, a little
0: bit like it could have been the real no thing. shade on Ariana, <laughs> but not at all. Please come on the show, we are desperate. <laughs> um, okay, so before we go, we're going to do one more song. This is the part of the show where we share a new song with you, the One Song Nation, and with each other. Doesn't have to be a new song, doesn't have to be an old song, it's just one song that we will probably never get to do its own episode on. But it's one more song. Luxury, you go first. What you got for me?
1: Well, over the break, I made a discovery, an old discovery, like a band that's been around for 40 years. But I just discovered them, one of those. <laughs> okay. And uh, perfect fit for the episode because the song is is a love song. Uh, but the band is New Age Steppers. It was more of a project, mm. this post-punk dub uh, a combination in 1981. This gentleman named Adrian Sherwood, who you may recognize as a very famous remixer, Depeche Mode onwards. He's been doing it for 40 plus years. Yeah. But in 81, he brought together Ari Up from the Slits with this group of Jamaican musicians. This is all happening in London. So they're all London, England based. And put together this beautiful blend of a dub song, a cover of a dub song by Bim Sherman with some Jamaican musicians, and some members of the Slits, just in this wonderful post-punk combination. And the song is called Love Forever by New Age Steppers, 1981. Love it. And this goes on, it's a seven and a half minute dub journey and it's it's Aries vocals by the end. She's going crazy and wailing and screaming. And by the way, she's only, I think, uh, 18 or 19 when she records this. Uh, so that's that's my one more song. Love Forever by New Age Steppers. What you got for me, Deal?
0: All right, uh, for my one more song, uh, we've talked a lot about Ed Townsend's work with uh, Marvin Gaye. Uh, this is a song by um, Bill Wolfer. Uh, Bill did a yeah. lot of work with Stevie Wonder, very similar to how Ed Townsend works with Marvin Gaye. And when you listen to this, it might sound like a Stevie Wonder song. You can imagine Stevie singing this, uh, but I thought it was a really good song. It seems like Bill might have kept this song for himself. Uh, the That's song allowed. is called That's Wake Aloud. Up, and it's a really groovy song. I'm going to try and find you a good little snippet to enjoy. Check this out. As always, if you have an idea for one more song, you can find us on Twitter or X if you must. But really, really, find us on Instagram. Find us on TikTok. I'm at Diallo, at
1: D-I-A-L-L-O on Instagram. at Diala Riddle on TikTok. And I'm Luxury. That's at L-U-X-X-U-R-Y on Instagram. And on TikTok, I'm at LuxuryXX. And by the way, we're on One Song This Podcast. We love it when you go rank us, rate us, give us reviews, five stars on the podcast <laughs> platforms. It really helps. So now is the time that I'm going to remind you, if you haven't done it yet, go give us those five stars, <laughs> write us that review, and share with your friends. Spread the word, One Song Nation. Let's expand. Let's take over the planet.
0: Luxury, help me in this
1: thing. I have been and continue to be producer, DJ, songwriter, and musicologist, Luxury. And I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ, Diallo room And this has been One Song. We will see you next week.
0: This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson with engineering from Marcus Hahn. Additional production support from Casey Simonson. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, Eric Weil, and Leslie Guam.
2: isa nakazawa join me on stars and stars with isa where i welcome today's stars to find out what their birth chart reveals about them i'm laughing because i'm like these are (laughs) two big topics in my life it's crazy because i feel all those ways at once listen to stars and stars with isa wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode